You're listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author Sarah Box, where you get the inside scoop on the steps action takers and decision makers take to align their purpose to their principles and achieve their goals in business and life. And now, without further ado, please welcome your commanding coach with plenty of chutzpah and heart, Sarah Box. Hey there, welcome. This is Sarah. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the No Labels, No Limits podcast. As you know, we are a podcast all about shedding limiting labels and beliefs so we can live our dreams and shine our lights in the world. This week, we are joined by Sarah Payton. Sarah Payton is an author, international speaker, and neuroscience educator who is dedicated to helping you transform your brain into a kinder, cozier place to live. I just like that vision of my brain being a kinder, cozier place to live. Sarah believes in the power of resonance to change the world. And to that end, she helps people see that our brains do make sense and that those things we've thought of as emotional difficulties or character defects are actually very normal reactions to relational, cultural, and intergenerational trauma. So we're gonna talk a bit about that today. And I also am going to have Sarah share more about how we each can erode our own self-confidence even without being consciously aware of it. So with that as a tiny intro, Let's welcome our guest today, Sarah Payton. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you, Sarah. I am so happy to be here. It's great to have you on the show. We're going to have a lot of, hi, Sarah. Hey, Sarah, kind of back and forth. Um, I say that's all good. The most, I worked in an office, this was a few years ago, there were three of us named Sarah, right? A small team. We were 30% of the entire staff, right? So they folks finally said, just go ask one of the Sarahs. And if you needed to know who? We were just our last names. Oh, so, um, anyway, I'm used to having multiple Sarahs in one place. <laughs> As our audience knows, I like to start by asking all of our guests this question. Is there something you do every day that keeps you living true to your purpose and your calling? Mm. Yes, what I do every day is I, when I wake up, I kind of conjure another Sarah that's hanging out right beside me who says, hey, welcome to the world. (laughs) With just a lot of warmth and care and tenderness. Sometimes she gives me a hug. Sometimes she rubs my head, pats my head. And just like bringing that that self-affection into the very first moments of my day with the world. What a great way to start your day. Yeah. Can you share a bit about how you found your own gifts and calling and what led you to the work that you're doing today, Sarah? Yes, two things. One was that the inside of my own brain was a very prickly sort of, it was sort of like a, the inside of a pin cushion instead of being a warm, cozy nest lined with down. It was more like, ouch, 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 <laughs> every time I tried to get into my own brain. So really, that's the main thing. And then just the way, seeing the way my family struggled with the impacts and consequences of trauma from all different angles really moved me and put me on this journey. So what steps did you take 
that brought you to today? Because so, it's one thing to be aware of that yeah. and another to fast forward or not so fast forward yeah. and be where you are today. Yeah. I had the luck of running into a woman named Bonnie Badnock, who does, who's a beautiful writer and, and psychotherapist. And she was teaching a class about self-warmth and she had us do a little meditation. And she said, before she started, she said, if the inside of your brain is not kind to you, then it means it's trauma. And if you have, uh, if you have trauma, then meditation is really difficult. So here's a really simple little self-warmth meditation. Just for a moment, allow yourself to be kind to your attention. Whatever your attention does, wherever it goes, just be kind to it. And, and, and then, you know, that's the end of the meditation. It's just like a stepping in, putting your toe into the water of self-warmth. And really, day after day, doing that kind of work and then learning the neuroscience that goes with it all and starting to teach it and then starting to write brought me here. All right. So what is something did, uh, along the way that you learned or did you have actually even before something you learned, <laughs> did you have any challenges either anticipated or unexpected that you had to overcome to kind of step into the work that you do today? Um, yes, I had trauma challenges. I had uh, um, when I first started presenting I started to have flashbacks and I couldn't figure out what they were from, but I would just like weep for 12 hours or six hours after I got done presenting. Then one day I got enough support and all of a sudden the flashback completed itself. And I saw the whole thing, which wasn't just the emotional impact, but this experience of being a little girl. And there was a grown up who was put in a very difficult position with me that I didn't realize when I was little, I was three years old. And he seemed really angry. But when I got all the support, I realized he was trying to figure out how to do his job and take care of me at the same time. And he'd been put in a terrible position by the people who were supposed to be running the show. So uh, it was like a, a download of uh, compassion for him and compassion for myself and deeper understanding. And then I was okay to present. And wow, that helped a lot. So then after that, did you have the kind of the reactions after presenting? No, not after I that got was that. was it? Yeah, not after I got that straight. I was like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. So what did that teach you? Because when you say that, I can think about like presenting and then just sobbing and being yeah. so like, for me, that I'm just going to put it in my terms, because if I sobbed for that long and I was that distraught, I'd be wiped out emotionally yeah, and yeah. physically. Um, so what was it within you that helped you keep going? I mean, what did you lean on? I guess is what I'm asking. Mm -hmm. It was this discovery of what resonance was that when that uh, Daniel Siegel writes about this and he was, he was really the first one. And then Bonnie Badnock was the second one. And they were both writing about the way that we change each other's brains when we actually give each other the, the sense that, yes, we understand each other. And so as I, as I got interested in that, I started to develop a community of folks who would do this with me, who would sit with me and I would sit with them and we would say, oh, you make sense. That was in your introduction about me. 
that I, that's what I love more than anything else is giving people a sense that they make sense because that settles the nervous system extraordinarily. It sounds so simple, but it is a little bit tricky just because our own nervous systems get in the way. If my son says to me, I'm so sad, then I don't want him to be sad. I don't want to sit with him and give him resonance and say, well, of course, I want to say, no, don't be sad. <laughs> that the truth. Well, the closer, right? The closer yeah. people are yeah. to us. Uh, and depending on your own personality, um, there is that pull to want to yeah. resolve or fix or shield mm -hmm. or protect. Yeah. Um, so did it take you a while to get comfortable doing that? It did. It took me a long time and a solemn contract with myself, especially with my son. <laughs> it's like I did a solemn contract with myself for one year. I was going to white knuckle it. I wasn't going to give him any advice. And it was very funny because a week before the, the date, I was counting the days. I was like seven days and I'm going to give advice like crazy. And then he came to me and he gave me the most beautiful hug I have ever received in my entire life. His body just relaxed into me. I think for the first time since he was very tiny. And I was like, oh dear, I can't go back to advice. How sad for me. And what a wonderful hug. <laughs> was he confused? When, did he know of the commitment you made? No, no, he didn't know. I'm, I'm not perfect with it either. So, you know. <laughs> this is not about being Sometimes perfect, but I you made a through. commitment. Right? <laughs> That's right. That's and, right. And we're never... I don't believe I've not met anybody who claims yeah. that they made one quick turn or commitment right. and they never had to go back and revisit. Right. <laughs> like, well, that got comfy. Oops. There I am yeah. again. Yeah. Um, so, so I re-upped for another year and now I'm on the non-re-upping, but just like the hug kind of thing. You're on the perpetual renewal. <laughs> right. So what were some of the changes you saw in your son as a result of that? Because that's a hard challenge to give yourself. Yeah, it really is. Um, uh, just like so much more relaxation and warmth and laughter and tenderness and shared concern for each other and, and expression of love. It was just a, a, a real, a real amazing. It's been a really amazing journey. Now, does he, has he learned from that how to be resonant? for you or provide resonance for he's, you? He's a very resonant guy. I don't try to get resonance from him because, you know, he's my kid and, but I get, I get lots of resonance from other people. It's very delicious. So share with us what that means. I mean, in concept, right. We yeah. can look up the word and define resonance yeah. and process. Um, Let's just say that I'm working with you. I'm a client of yours. Okay. What is my journey going to look like? Your journey is going to look like you're going, you're going to come to the session and you'll say, Sarah, I know I'm really blocked. I really want to write a book. I can't write a book. And uh, all my friends say, I need to write a book, but I'm completely blocked. And I don't know why. And then the very first thing we do is we acknowledge all the really good reasons to be blocked. So just starting with like, would it be sweet if somebody else understood how dangerous it is, it is to do clear self-expression and that you may have been attacked in the past or received fatal criticism, fatal to your creative heart criticism. And then kind of, or, or even that your speaking or your singing has been, you've been told that it wasn't good enough, you know? So just starting with that foundation of like, 
our body's saying something and our mind is saying something coming from a very good historical foundation. Doesn't need to be true in the present time, but we need to acknowledge what's true. Then the next thing is uh, seeing what happens in the body when we think about writing a book. Does our stomach seize up? Do we stop breathing? Does our throat constrict? Does our face get all squinchy? Do we start to cry? Um, and, and then we kind of stay with the emotional experience for a little bit and name that because that's another truth that needs to be acknowledged. Then we see if there's a real strong memory to work with. And if there is, we step back in time to go get the young part of this. And so there's kind of th those four levels of work that happen. And until the person's body is relaxed and, and they think, oh, it wouldn't be so bad to write a book. It can take one session. It can take three years. It depends on the person. But that's a, that's a microcosm. Look at what happens. So four main steps. Yeah. Right. Just summarize like step one, two, three, yeah. four without describing yeah. them again. Sure. Then we can help. Step one, acknowledge what's true about what you believe, what the historical foundations are. Step two, be with the emotions and make sure to explore the emotional territory and name the emotional experience. Step three, time travel with resonance to the past self who experienced trauma. Step four, are there any unconscious contracts that we made with ourselves that leave us convinced that like, I will never express myself in public again in order to keep from being killed, no matter the cost to myself, that kind of thing. And then we say, do you wanna keep that contract? And the, Essential self usually says, nope, that's kind of an old one that comes from my childhood. It doesn't, it um, doesn't help. My father was the dangerous one. He's gone now. I think I can let go of that contract. For example, someone might say something like that. That's actually interesting because if in that example that you gave, the father was still living and um, that person envisioned that they could be at risk, would they change the contract? get rid of yeah, the yeah. what's Sometimes typically there's like a partial release yeah. or a realization that even if their father is still alive and still hypercritical they now have more support than they did when they were little so they'll take it in a different way it will no longer destroy or obliterate them or sometimes there's like a like to tentatively explore creativity in other ways or to sometimes they're funny little like clauses of the of the release of the contract like to publish under a pseudonym you know <laughs> there's all kinds of creative things that people come up with that's great though i mean because uh, there are other ways than what we sometimes believe we you know it's like we think we know yeah but that exploration that you're talking about and the testing kind of where that comes from is it true is it true today and yeah. what would what the contract change um Sometimes we can find some things going, well, who says I have to use my own name? Yeah. Who says? <laughs> exactly. So um, I love this quote from yours when you say, when our brains are mean to us, it's not truth, it's, it's trauma. trauma. Yeah. Where did that come from? That, Is that your own experience? That's or my the... own experience and the experience that I've had with thousands of people that I've worked with. It's a, it's a really nice thing to remember because 
our brains are so convincing. <laughs> they are, in fact. <laughs> and that was what I was saying about that self, what we promised we'd touch on, that idea of, um, uh, of eroding our own self-confidence without even knowing it. It's like we have this inner voice that's running, that's used to criticizing us, that's going to be running in the background until we start to disable it with warmth. And warmth is the thing that makes the critical voice go away more than anything else. It's There's this tricky movement, though, from warmth, from integrity, because self-criticism feels a lot like integrity, to warmth. Like, how do we get to warmth with authenticity without giving up our integrity? That can feel like a big stretch. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and let me ask, because I've actually wrestled with this in my head, um, so the, one of the voices is you've got to always be productive. Right. Oh, and I yes. got, I mean, I didn't used to have that voice. And then I got that voice and because it was the norm, it was the culture that I was in, right. My yeah, work yeah. culture, corporate culture. And it only has been the last maybe two or three years when, and I have to joke, I have to be nice to myself and just go, Hey, wait, I really love the boss I work for now because I'm self-employed, right? <laughs> So if I don't like my schedule or I don't like something, mm -hmm. I can have a conversation with yeah. my boss, right? Yes. And go, okay, what's happening here? Yeah. But it's been interesting to watch the, um, I guess I would call it dynamics, internal mm -hmm. dynamics. Mm -hmm. And one of the things when you talk about that warmth and authenticity piece is like, there's a part, I guess I would explain it like, you know, when you're a little kid and you're playing on the monkey bars, right? Mm -hmm. You got your hands and you're, and you know, you're not that big, but it feels like a long way to the ground. Mm -hmm. And you go, okay, I logically, and you know, I've kind of negotiated, this is what I could do. I have to let go. Yeah. I have to let go. Yeah. Right. But what if it's <laughs> further than that? Or what if I can never get back up? Right. Yeah. So, um, and I know that's kind of maybe a little squishy as an example, but for me, that's how, like when I've had those internal dialogues that I have to come back and go, well, if you can't get back up, something else is going to happen. Yeah. Know? But it, that is, I'm able to say that because I've been around on this planet a while and I've had enough things where something else happens. Yeah. Right? yeah. So if you're a young person, you don't necessarily have that experience right. or right. life That's experience, true. right? Yeah, it's true. So let's assume we've got a young person, maybe okay. someone in their teens or they're getting ready to go off to school or whatever and be out on their own. What kind of tips could you give them, I guess? And I don't want to distill everything you have down into yeah, tips because yeah, I know it's yeah. bigger, but. Yeah, um, it would be, the starting point would be like a question. Do you like yourself? That's the very first starting point question, especially when we're young and well, when we're old, older as well. But um, do you like yourself? And if you do like yourself, if you don't like yourself, have you always not liked yourself or did you start not liking yourself at a certain point? And if you started not liking yourself at a certain point, what happened that year? Did your family move? Was there experiences of abuse? Did someone die? Did your, did your mother go into a depression? What was, what was the background? Because this is exactly the, the neurobiological foundation of that statement. It's not true. When we're mean to ourselves, it's not truth. It's trauma. When we don't like ourselves, 
it's not truth, it's trauma. It's a natural expression of things being too big and too hard for a child to be able to deal with all by themselves. So it's like they have the, the child self that's trying to deal with something too big. It's almost like they, they leave that child self behind. We do, we humans. And they step into another self that thinks that self is weak and disgusting. And they don't like that self anymore. And all it is is that there was too much feeling here, too much despair, too much pain, too much helplessness. Too, too too much fear for the it was like it blew our fuses yeah oh and that's then, a great example yeah right it's like a, that's it overload overload so you have a new book out yes. which i'm super excited. this one so yeah. we get to be your first to share this with yes yes affirmations for turbulent times by sarah payton one of the resonance series of books, there are two more before it that are all about neuroscience and, and unconscious contracts. But this one, this one's very straightforward and simple. And it has two pages for each, for each affirmation. The first side tells the truth. It wonders about different truths that might be important to name. So getting that foundation in of what's the historical background of why we would have a little person on our shoulder going, that affirmation can't be true. We want to silence that little one and we want to go into an affirmation. So, so pick so one example, at random. Yeah. Okay. Here's nostalgia for a stopped world. As the world picks up speed after slowdowns and stoppages, I hold on to the pace that is right for me. I know my own rhythms. I know how quickly my brain likes to think and the speeds at which my body likes to move. I call on the knowledge of a very slow time to inform my choices and my understanding of what is healthy and good for me. Sometimes I am quicker than the world and sometimes I move with more deliberation than the world does. I slow down when I want to and I breathe as deeply as I need to breathe no matter how quickly things around me are moving. My mind is sometimes a deep, slow, wide river and sometimes a quick burbling stream. I let the world go its own speed while I go my own speed. I clear space for myself. I breathe fully. So that's the affirmation. Yeah. I started relaxing when you were reading. Oh, Part of it's your voice. Oh. <laughs> your voice is very soothing. But then also just like, yeah, that's so true. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And then even when you said that about the breathing, I'm going, oh yeah, that feels good. Yeah. Um, it's oh, it's wonderful. But now read the um Okay, this one would come first. The the, yep. the wonderings would have come first. Yep. You sometimes miss the time when the world became very quiet. Was there as I was thinking about, you know, my street during the beginning of the pandemic with no cars on it for days? Was there a strange peacefulness in the silence of the stopped world? Did you enjoy the way the air smelled when no one was driving? Was there a merciful quality to the sudden cessation of social engagements? Did you have the chance to stay home instead of always being out or always traveling? Did you luxuriate in the expanses of unscheduled time are you sometimes afraid you won't find that quiet again? 
was the downtime an unprecedented and unexpected chance to catch your breath. And then the affirmation follows then, on that. Yeah. I yeah. love that. I relished in, in mm. that, especially that one. Like when you were asking mm. those questions, I'm thinking, oh yeah, that was really great. All of those things yeah. amongst the turbulence, right? Yes. Um, and there's others for all the other truths, you know, the financial worries when everything stopped. And yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's some, our truths are very complex as humans. So can you share um, a story someone has shared back with you as a result of becoming more resonant and what's happened for mm -hmm. them? Mm -hmm. What people say in the very beginning is they actually come up to me when well, they used to, when I was traveling internationally, they would come up and talk to me and they would say, I, I make sense. I make sense. <laughs> and, um, and, and some of the things that people share are that they, that they find themselves not having to be so hard in order to survive the world and thrive in beautiful ways that they don't have to be rigid, that they get to discover their own flexibility, that they get to discover their own softness, um, that they get to take more time to think when things happen. They don't have to immediately react. They can say, hold on, I think I just need to breathe for a minute in order to be able to make a decision here. And uh, they also start to kind of come into and reference their own deep intuition in new ways. And do you find that true for people, you know, that like you think about intuition, the head, the heart, the gut, um, across different types of people that relate, you know, that relate differently? Is that yeah, sense of yeah. being able to trust or recognize their intuition kind of uniform or do different personality types experience it differently? Well, I think, you know, intuition is so highly individual. But um, people of all different ages discover this work and get excited about it. I get folks in their 20s. I have uh, one, one, one person who came to study with me and has become a friend who creates art that, and thinks about the resonance in the art. Like how does the art that they're making capture something that's true for people in the world? And I have um, people who are musicians or business owners who come and discover this work and, and their music becomes more creative or as a business owner, they start teaching their whole, their whole business to be resonant with customers. I have one, one person who came and started doing this with his business of, he has four businesses and 80 owners and they have the most productive time and the best reviews from clients of anybody in their industry. So it's, it's quite a thing, this discovery of something that's actually quite simple, but at the same time, difficult to do because as you and I were talking about, the desire to not have our sweet people be sad kind of can push us towards doing advice, which is not helpful for brains, unfortunately. <laughs> cracks me up. It's not helpful for brains to get advice. So basically you're saying, do your work. Yes. Right? yes. Because now when you're talking about the neuroscience of it, are you actually talking about, for instance, let's use you because you gave a really great um, example of deciding, committing not to give advice, right? Yeah. When you did that and each time you had that impulse to do it, but you chose a different action or behavior, yes. Yes. did your brain start to rewire its reactions? Um, 
I don't think it started to rewire until, I mean, unfortunately, because, you know, there's those people that say 30 days, if you just do it every day for 30 days, you're good. That's not, not true. My, that's not been my experience. Not when it's that big a deal. <laughs> I think it was more like three years before yeah. it started to feel, I was not, I was not white knuckling it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's important for folks to know, right? Like this is not a quick fix. You're basically challenging impulses. Yes, that's right. right? And, um, and I think the more ingrained they are, or the more we, we put, the more we can consider they have high stakes. So like, if I stop giving advice, who am I? Yeah. Right. That's a high stakes ego question. Can I still be a mother and not give advice? (laughs) And for every child ever, the answer is yes. <laughs> Unless every, I ask you. And for every mother ever, the answer is no, no, no. <laughs> Sometimes we don't even know we're giving advice. Yeah, that's so true. You have to watch the eyes. And when yeah. the eyes tune out, you're going, uh-oh. uh-oh. <laughs> They've just gone, not listening anymore. Thanks yeah. for sharing. Yeah. Um, so that's important though, because if folks are expecting like to bring resonance into their workplace, and I'm going to ask you to give me a more concrete example of where someone could start with that. Cause I think that is so important now as mm-hmm. folks are deciding a, am I going back into the workspace and mm-hmm. B, if I do, what's it mean for me? What do I need? Mm-hmm. But um, it's important to recognize that it, it's not an immediate on off, right? Mm -hmm. If you're coming into resonance and then Mm -hmm. others that you work with are coming in, we're all kind of like turning a ship. Yeah. We've already got forward momentum some way. So now we got to slow down and start the ship. So how do we do that at work, Sarah? At work? um, I think what we start to do is to notice that we can be both relational and instrumental. The instrumental part of the brain doesn't actually, the part that gets things done for us, the dopamine driven, you know, get on the, get on, not exactly get on the treadmill because that sounds like you aren't going anywhere, but get on the marathon path and start chugging. That's so important for business and productivity doesn't have to be completely separate from the other part of the brain, which sees people as people. And so if we let the part that sees that sees souls be ascendant, then, and this is what I had to do with, with my son, I had to let soul be ascendant, rather than getting things done be ascendant. Yeah. So that's, I think it's kind of the same answer wherever we're, wherever we're trying to bring this material in. Um, We're, we're looking for a conviction that true productivity includes the involvement of the people. And rather than leaving them behind or leaving them in their, in our wake, that there's a kind of a movement toward an enjoyment of teamwork and connection. When you talked about ascendant, right, mm-hmm. versus getting things done, mm-hmm. um, especially in a metric-driven, rewarding culture for certain, you know, and certain qualities more than others, that in itself challenges folks, right? So yes. um, it's 
it, that's one of the reasons why it takes a while. Yeah. And you have to trust. Yeah. Okay. So I have a question for you from all the work you've been doing up to this point, because you've got more you're doing. Um, what's been the most gratifying or satisfying aspect of the work beyond your relationship with your son? Oh, it's, it's all the people that tell me that their lives have been changed. Many people say to me, this is the missing piece. People always said self-warmth, 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 but nobody said how to do it. And now you've given me the tools and a clear path. And I'm like, oh, this is wonderful. Yeah. That is satisfying to know that. So for you, we talked a little bit about how you stay true to your own calling and purpose, but if you're talking or teaching or presenting or writing, right, those are all very, um, they're de not demanding in a negative way, but they require much of you. Yes. Um, so what do you do, Sarah, to recharge, renew, or reset for yourself? I, I This habit of uh, this practice of waking up into warmth for myself is one of my regular recharges. And then, gosh, I so love going on strange adventures with my family. What's and a strange adventure? The well, the pandemic has sort of put the kibosh on the strange adventures. We went to the Galapagos right before, right before to look at the tortoises together. And there was there were three generations and two households or three households or four households. And it was marvelous. And it was, oh. It was just, we were all looking at the tortoises. So that counts for me as a, now my solution to there being no adventure or harder to do adventure um, with, with worries about my own health um, and worries about the health of others is that um, tomorrow I have a surprise visit planned with my family to go look at puppies to see if they would, <laughs> to see if they would like us to, to reserve a puppy. So so that's the kind of thing that I love. I love, I especially love things that involve our animal cousins and how do we support them and love them, whether they're wild or companion animals. That's so great. I mean, you, well, you gave an example of both, right? The tortoises in the Galapagos yeah. and then our puppies. Yeah. Right? And this, this is just a personal thing. I don't think many things smell better than puppy breath and horse breath you know like horse yeah. exhaling through his yeah. nose and you just breathe that in it is yeah. so great you know and puppy yeah. breath oh well, that, that's a nice idea maybe i'll do another adventure with my family we'll find a stable nearby that does oh, rides. That's it is yeah. and if because if you're breathing with the horse their breath mm -hmm. is slower their breathing rate is slower than ours typically so oh so you just slow down but they're so um, wise. Mm. I'll just leave it at that. There's so many of the things I learned the hard way I learned from a horse, both being tossed and also being gentle. Oh, so, beautiful. But puppies always. So mm. Sarah, when you think about the work you're doing and the potential that resonance can have for transforming us, right? Yes. Yes. Where do you see us the global community, us as people, our animal companions and friends in the wild, where do you see us and our planet in 10 years if folks get on board with the work you're doing? 
<laughs> 10 years of global. You want longer than that? That would be so yummy. Um, that people that people would be deeply thoughtful about the impact of their actions. They would be thinking about resources. They would be wondering about the lives of their great grandchildren. They would be wanting to preserve the 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 ecosystems and the and the species for for adventures in the future for their great grandchildren. They would want, um, yeah. They would there'd be a movement into into enjoying each other and having delight in each other's presence. Wow, and that doesn't cost anything. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's pretty free if you can if you get there. Yes. Right? yes. That's a beautiful vision. So now we'll get concrete again. Okay. What is the best way for folks to get connected with you, Sarah, to work with you, to get your books, all of that? Yes. To go to my website. First of all, you can get the, you can get the book on any online bookseller or you can support your local brick and mortar bookseller and have them order copies for you. And um, it's the uh, website is sarahpayton.com. If you want to get books from me or take classes or look at all uh, recording, recorded classes and recorded sort of do-it-yourself learning opportunities. And I, I believe you have some free resources on your website, right? You, I do. The two first books both have a series of meditations that go with them. So the Your Resonant Self workbook and the original Your Resonant Self have guided meditations that are downloadable for free on the website and briefly just describe those books so folks know like what kind of like if I got that book what might because we talked about your affirmation book a bit but what might I experience well you might experience getting your resonant self the first book which is a self-compassion journey and then you might get through it's the neuroscience of self-compassion and it'd be a good start and then you'd go start going, well, there are some places where I don't seem to be shifting. Wonder why that is. And you would get the Your Resonant Self workbook, which has you take a look at all different kinds of unconscious contracts that people make with themselves to self-sabotage themselves in order to make their family's nervous systems balance out, like mm, not succeeding in order not to compete with a mom who didn't get to succeed in her life, that kind of thing. And then you might say, I'd love to have something that just supports me every day. Or you might just start here if you don't like science that much, because it doesn't have much science. It just has the sweetness. The other two are the science sweetness. and sweetness. This is sweetness. This is sweetness a is a hug. good way to go into 2022. Yeah. A don't hug in a hardcover. <laughs> hug in a hardcover. Perfect. That's perfect. Um, and science, whether you like it or not, you know, I think sometimes, at least in school, there are people who just resonate with science. Yeah, absolutely. But I think also that until we see how science helps us, yeah, we don't care so much, right? No. But then all of a sudden we're going, oh, wow, when I do this, it does this, like, here's the science of it. It's fascinating. It's like, yes. Oh, so I want to thank you for being on our show. I think you've added great value. Um, I'm so glad. I loved your reading and I would encourage folks 
if, and we'll have all the links to Sarah's um, website, social media, all of that in there. So don't, if you're listening to this while you're driving, don't worry about it. Um, we'll have the hyperlinks for you. Um, but I would ask you, listener, if you're listening to this and feel moved, please share this podcast with a friend of yours or a couple of friends or a group. Um, buy the book and give it as a gift for um, the new year to someone. Buy it for yourself first, self-compassion, resonance, um, and then maybe share it with two or three people. And then you can go through it together and just know that you're on a journey with others. And then personally, I would ask you that if you're not already subscribed to our podcast, please do. It helps us reach more people. Um, and follow me on LinkedIn um, or like and love us on YouTube, but mostly keep living a no labels, no limits life, because the more we do that, the better the world is for everybody in it. Thanks, everyone been listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author, change agent, and strategic vision coach, Sarah Box. You can grab the show notes and find out how to work with Sarah at sarahbox.com forward slash No Labels, No Limits podcast. We'd love this podcast to reach as many people as possible. So please remember to rate, leave a five-star review, and share the podcast with someone you think would get value from this conversation. Until next time, keep taking those daily action steps to align your purpose to your principles and achieve your goals in business and life.